Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. One hundred one part-time jobs. 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 
All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. It's the podcast where I speak to some very talented folk about different stages they've been at with their music over their time doing it, as well as some of the stories from their old careers. On today's episode, we're very happy to welcome Steve Mason, who this Friday releases his fifth solo record, Brothers and Sisters. He's going on tour with the band this spring. That's hitting Birkenhead, Sheffield, Oxford, Leeds, Sunderland, Glasgow, Manchester, London, Nottingham and Brighton from towards the end of April into May. The record sounds brilliant and I think with a full band those live shows are going to be excellent. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs supported by 2000 Trees Festival which is a great independent rock festival in Cheltenham just a few hours away from London. They've been making new band announcements for the last week and today they've announced some more including American Football, Employed to Serve, Prima Queen, Military Gun, Bat Sabbath, and loads more. That's on top of Frank Hart and the Rattlesnakes, 100 Reasons, Rival Schools, The Bronx, loads of brilliant bands heading to 2000 Trees this July. If you want to go but haven't got your ticket yet, you can go to 2000treesfestival.co.uk and if you use the voucher code 101POD when you're buying a ticket outright, you can get 20 quid off the price, which is basically free money if you know you're going anyway. The instalment plan ends at the end of tonight, if that sounds more sensible. Yeah, 2000 Trees Festival, it's brilliant. Thanks again for listening. Here's Steve Mason on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Go well. Cheers. As an artist, you have to sort of accept that you're you're not in it for the money, you know, and so you have to just uh, live live with the fact that you are probably always going to be skint, and you're not going to be able to afford to do things that other people can do. People who have um, job, you know, even just normal jobs, or especially not well-paid jobs, you have to accept that you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to go on holidays. You're not going to be able to have, um, you know, um, a nice new car. You'd be very lucky if you can afford to buy a house um, or get a deposit together for a house. And you have to live very much hand to mouth and you have to kind of, I guess, have the courage to be able to do that. And which is very easy uh, when you're younger, but the but it becomes less easy when you get older for for many different reasons, but the most obvious reasons in my case being that I'm now married and I have a five-year-old daughter. So when you have people relying on your income, there's a lot more pressure and it's it's quite it feels like quite an intimidating situation to to be in with when within which still to attempt to be creative. Yeah. Um I mean I've always I guess been most creative when I'm kind of I don't necessarily need to be happy, but there needs to be a certain element of stability. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of that side of it is is, is one part of it. But then I guess the other the other part of it is just that that drive, the thing that drives you on, which is loving the creation of brand new art and trying to consistently surprise yourself and push forward and better what you've already achieved and add to the... The, the sort of greater canon of work of of of, of artists globally, um, and hope when the books are opened up, your name will be in the the books as someone to uh, take note of. <laughs>
it's brilliant speaking to someone like you with such a canon, such like a, a deep pocket of tunes and records and real experiences and the impacts that you've had on people's lives. You know, the soundtracks and the feelings that mm. that you've given people. I mean, I, I wonder how much you've been able to kind of ruminate on that and kind of identify identify that fire inside of you that you have to do this thing and try and protect it you know have there been times throughout your life that you've had to be forced to protect it and prioritize that really what you're talking about only really happened to me um in in the sort of time preceding the writing of brothers and sisters so uh the the, the album uh, the previous album to this one was called about the light and i and i and i got stephen street to produce that because I'd, I'd just become a dad i just got married and i really wanted somebody who was um, really competent, knew what they were doing. Um, I, I sort of wanted to be a bit less hands-on and I suppose someone that was going to help me potentially create something that might get played on the radio. But then going into this one, I realised that potentially going down that road of chasing radio plays and um, and kind of becoming a... a um, I guess potentially a reactionary, maybe was it, it wasn't me, and it was and it was a mistake, and um, and that's not you know that's not that's no um, I'm not in any way having a dig at what at what Stephen Street did whatsoever. I, I wanted them to come in, and he did exactly what I, what I wanted, but I just felt personally as an artist that uh, if you deviate from the path of truth uh, with respect to your art, then you're never gonna really achieve anything except the destruction of your own art so really um i guess uh i had to sort of have a word with myself and really work out what it was i wanted to do whether i wanted to stop and um try and do something else get a job i don't know what something else for the first time ever since i've dared to call myself an artist i, I was being tested you know did, did i did i really want to do it did i really want to do it to the point where i was prepared to, you know, carry on living in a way which is hand-to-mouth, carry on living in a way which is somewhat precarious for the love of music and for the love of what I might be able to achieve and might be able to do? Or was I just going to pack in at that point? And, I mean, I mean not necessarily take an easier route because trying to get a job, you know, is uh, very, very difficult anyway. So I had to sort of really decide what it was I wanted to do. And then once I decided that I didn't want to give up, I didn't want to stop, then I had to, again, realise that I had to remember what it's like to, to be an artist and I have to rem- and, and that kind of, and, and decompartmentalise the family situation and just start, because ba- what I used to do, you know, before I had any responsibilities, I spend a hell of a lot of the week sitting around daydreaming or watching films or just thinking or, um, or doing nothing. And then there'd be kind of bursts in the sort of, you know, from sort of 10 p.m. till 4 a.m., you know, uh-huh. and I'd stay up doing that. But you, I can't, you can't live like that when you, when you live in a house with a, in, with a family. You can't live like that. So you have, to, you have to sort of, and I'd never really compromised my living in any way. I'd never had to because I'd always kind of pretty much lived on my own pretty much. So, yeah, you have to, you have to learn to compromise. I mean, yeah, you have to learn to compromise and you have to learn that compromising in certain areas doesn't dilute your art and then you have to realize that the areas where you 
where your art is not being diluted are the things that you need to kind of amplify and and shine a light on and embrace those things with as much vigor as is possible. When, the yeah, that's a great, great answer. Thank you so much for getting into this, you know, because because I realized that this conversation by nature, you know, it kind of requires you to dig deep, really. After about the light and you know whether you know when when you when you decided that you did want to do the next record when you decided you did want to do what was going to become and what is brothers and sisters were there you know you talked about okay well what do i want to do were there any kind of prerequisites or any kind of specific points you wanted to to do in yourself you know you know you talked about making record for radio play and you realized that's not your the, the truth of your path what 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 is the truth of your path? Are you able to define that? Have you been able to articulate that? I think the truth of my path would be what I believe should be the the path of of all artists, which is not allowing any external forces to come in uh, during the the process of making the art and diluting it in in, in any way or tampering with it in any way. Um, so. For example, I mean, um, I mean, an example that artists, the people that make music, have to bow down to whoever they are, whether it's me or whether it's you know Wu Tang Clan or whether it's Radiohead or whoever it might be, is explicit words being bleeped on the radio. I've got a track out at the moment called "People Say," mm. and it's been played on the radio quite a lot, and. Um, there's a line in it which goes, and when I look you in the eye, it's time for fighting. I never really thought too much about that, but somebody like the BBC might go, well, you know, there's a war on at the moment, uh, fighting. Uh, we don't want to remind people that there's a war on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, despite the fact that they might see it on the BBC News and hear about it on the BBC News. I'm, I'm in a, I remember when, um, during the first Gulf War, or during, during the first illegal invasion of Iraq, Massive attack were forced by 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 radio to change their name to Massive. I didn't know that. Which, um, yeah, they were, so so the, so the red so the DJ would go and here's Massive with unfinished sympathy. <laughs> you got a massive war. And then just 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 massive compromise. <laughs> um, you know, but I guess, um, but you know, I mean, I just, you know, that's that's no indictment on on them whatsoever. You know, but you know, so you, so so you have to sort of, I guess pick your battles and you have to realize what's important and what, what what's not important and so i don't think that's answered your question though what was could you repeat your question again please i think that base that really does answer my question because you know talking about not compromising and what it makes me think of is uh times in, in my life as a writer as a journalist where i've you know you you get stuck in what's expected of you uh rather than you know, the pure source or that kind of thing that I think it's almost like a waste of time to try and define that pure source because you are it, you know, you can't really define your personality. We're all different. We all have our unique parts that I think it's sort of more fun really to not try and define it. I mean, you know, you said something really interesting earlier, which is you, you said from the time that you dared call yourself an artist, where, do you remember that what that time was and, and and have you had different stages of your life that you thought no I don't want to define myself as that or and then you know at times that changes and you're like okay well I am because that's what 
that's what I'm here for. You know, that's where I find joy in life. What, what's your story of acknowledging that you're you're an artist? Well, I was the last real job that I had was I was a car mechanic, and so up to the point where I I um, I stopped doing that. I'd been hanging around the previous year with some artists from the um, the Edinburgh Art College, J- John McLean and uh, Robin Jones and uh, Sean McCloskey and, and Gordon Anderson. And so in my social life, I sort of was just surrounded by that kind of weird version of masculinity, which I guess people these days call this toxic masculinity, which is, you know, talking about certain, talking about women in a certain way, uh, being homophobic, being racist, you know, having this really sort of puffed up uh, hard man persona, um, drinking, spitting, you know, that kind of uh, ludicrous version of, of maleness. And I wasn't like I wasn't like that, but people I knew and and I'd, I you see I saw it everywhere, you know. And but it just it just it just seemed like even at the time when it was when it was kind of like the norm, it seemed ludicrous and really pathetic, just a cul-de-sac of development as a human being. <laughs> so when I started hanging around with art, with with real artists, with painters and poets and uh, sculptors and and musicians. I sort of had this epiphany that I realised that um, because those people that that I sort of knew in my social life and stuff, you know, they would completely pour scorn on anyone if you talked about your feelings or anything like that, let alone write a song. I mean, they all, they all listen to music. And I was used to think, well, where the fuck do you think this music comes from? Do you think it comes from yeah. some fucking He-Man racist down the pub who's, I mean, you'll sit around listening to the specials. You think the specials... You know, you think Terry Hall doesn't talk and think about his feelings, yeah. you know. And so I realised um, that the the artists were the brave ones. They were the ones to be admired. They were the ones who were putting everything on the line and, 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 and talking fearlessly about their feelings and about, and about how they saw the world and uh, in, in, a, in a way that was so brutally honest that it was very disarming. And I think that ever since I sort of realized that, I started doing that myself. And I've always used that as a as a way to disarm people, I suppose, is to just be incredibly honest. And so I, so I show people very early on that I'm very unafraid to talk about how, how I feel, how I feel about them, how I feel about me, how I feel about the situation, how I feel about what they're saying. Um, because I think it's, I just want people to know very quickly that I'm, I'm just not interested in bullshit. I just want to have an open and honest conversation. And if you don't want to have that with me, that's fine. But you are going to have to walk away from me. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So you were a car mechanic. What age was that? Uh, I think I was a car mechanic from about uh, 16 to about sort of uh, 20, 21, maybe something like that, I think. Now, that's a good skill to have, especially if you're well, about to start going on tour. Well, it was. It was. But the pro- the problem is that when I was a car mechanic, it was still very much um, pre-electronics. So it was it was about, you know, setting points and, you know, the, the old school way of, uh, of servicing a car. But just as a, sort of 
as I as I was quitting, you know, engine management systems were coming in, and everything was becoming much more electronically controlled. So I could work. I could certainly do a few shifts at a classic car garage, but not not really at a modern day garage. I quit being a car mechanic in um, uh, 92 or 93, moved to London in 94, and then we and then we got signed in 90, sort of 96 or 97. That you know that change of life from coming down to London, you know, what was that move for? Do you remember, you know, your emotions then? Do you remember how you were feeling about that? Your first impressions maybe? I um I was I was dating um a girl at the time from Glasgow and she had, she'd got on a, um, she'd become a student nurse. So she was going to um, Dulwich College. So she was going down, she was, she'd, she'd moved there. So I was going down sort of once a month by, by kind of 1993, I was going down there once a month pretty much anyway. So, so I kind of um, knew what, knew what to expect, but I, it just, when when you're that age, it's such a great time to go to London because you can put up with anything. You know, if you if you're living somewhere shit, then it doesn't matter because you don't care because you're in London and you want to be in London. And um, also, it was great back then because you had a fully functioning social security system, so you could get the dole and you could get um, housing benefit. So right. if you had a, if you managed to get sort of two or three hundred pounds for the deposit. You could have a flat, and you could have your flat paid for. You you could just spend all your time writing and learning how to write songs and trying to start a band and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was a really different world back then compared to what it is now. I think London was everything I expected it to be. I went there to meet people from different cultures and to be exposed directly to some of the music that I loved and and, and to just fully immerse myself in, in I guess more modern youth culture what was actually happening at the time so um it was it was great it was a great place to be and i don't ever regret um making that move you know i would have been i mean i, I, mean, I, I still know people now that have been stuck their, their entire lives in in the places where i was from and um and i'm you know that's great that's great for them if they like it but i think even just from a personal development point of view you know it's it's good to have you know, I mean, I, I, the first place where, where, that I lived at in London was um, this old Jamaican couple in Brixton, and they had the so they had they had a house, and they they were basically renting out the top the top half of the house to me and my girlfriend, and they lived in the bottom house, and even just even just that, just sharing a, a sort of a, a space with with them, you, you just learn so much about about you know a culture that you don't really know anything about. I mean, I knew the music, but you know, you don't know that you don't. You know, you don't know, and it was um, it was it was great. And being being in Brixton at that time as well was was great. You know, mostly it was still a bit uh, still a little bit dangerous. Yeah. But again, when you're young, you don't really you don't really care about that either. It's exciting. So, which music halls, which music venues, or or bands do you remember from from that time? To be honest, I've I've never really been a big gig person. I, I've been to a lot of clubs. 
Um, but I haven't really been to see that many bands. I was always much more kind of club person. But we used to go to um, we used to go to a place called the Mars Bar, which was opposite where the Astoria was. So if you on the corner of the Astoria, there was a little street, tiny little street that runs down towards Soho Square, and right. at the top of that kind of opposite the where the story used to be there was a little club there down and you went downstairs there and we used to go there we used to go Talvin Singh he started okay. up a club there as well we used to go we used to go to that rails near uh, Houston brilliant nights there was a night there called um, the frat shack and that was probably the best club I've ever been to in my life it was just a crazy mix of people there was sort of a lot of the mods used to go there. And then a lot of the kind of rockabillies used to go as well, and and, and every sort of subculture around around that because they played a sort of within a sort of fairly tight framework. They played a huge amount of music within that framework, which brought in kind of a very strange um, a mix you just wouldn't find anywhere else. Like you'd never yeah. back then, you'd never get mods going to a rockabilly club, and vice versa, or you know, and there was that whole kind of Medway scene thing, which had spilled into London as well. And you had uh, Liam Watson, who at that time had a studio in Old Street. And so you had that whole uh, toll rag kind of scene going on. And that was part of it. And that was an ama- just an amazing club. That. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. talked about how after heroes to zeros that you, you had a you had a depressive time because you owed a lot of money to the label and that that must have been a very confusing time you'd had this pretty amazingly effective career to so many people and that still carries on today i mean i suppose my question is you know when did you come through that fug when did you come through that the other side of that dense period where it was, um, you know, not so much of an enjoyable part of, of your life? Uh, well, I mean, the depression I had lasted from about probably 1993 to about 2010. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I had to, I had throughout the whole of the beta band, I was really, really struggling with my mental health and with depression and stuff. So, yeah, the whole, I mean, I, I sort of, I, around the time of, um, Heroes to uh, Hot Shots Two. I went on antidepressants, which leveled which leveled me up qu- quite a bit. But still, it was there were still issues. But it, but but they definitely helped for a for, for for a period. But if you're asking me when I sort of managed to get out of um, the depression thing, um, I guess it was probably about um, seven or eight years ago. Really, really, actually, properly managed to put it to bed and you know, and, uh, and deal with everything that was, that was sort of, uh, 
cause the, the the causes of that and put those things to bed. But it was partially because I did a lot of work on it, and partially I think age really helped me just getting older and my mind slowing down and not being quite so dramatic and teenage about everything. You know, I find that really interesting that you were writing all through that time because um, you know I've had troubles with with similar types of stuff and i find it i found it really hard to write with it other times i've had i found it hard to write without it <laughs> you know it's like mm. kind of fuck it's kind of, so yeah it's great that you were writing the whole the whole time that that's amazing um thanks so much i really appreciate it. we've got four minutes left sorry it doesn't feel very nice rushing but thank you so much for your time steve i really appreciate it pleasure i like to end these interviews with um you know, I think there's a massive culture of thinking you're the best. You're talking about the masculinity thing. Like, you know, you never fuck up at work. You never make mistakes. You're always the best at what you do. And and like people try and hide their mistakes, especially in the workplace. I wondered if you've got any uh, gaffes or any kind of <laughs> errors that you've that you've made in the workplace. I suppose at this point in your life, it, there, there could be ones to do with playing music. But does anything come to mind? To be honest, I've learned far more from my mistakes than I ever have any victories I've ever had. I think people completely underestimate making mistakes and making wrong decisions and getting in the shit as a way to move forward. Um, um, the idea that um, everything is perfect all the time and everything's great, well, that's just some marketing man's fucking wet dream. Life is not like that. So you have to embrace these things, you have to embrace the mistakes, embrace the, the, the stupid things you do, embrace the fact that you might have said something which hurts someone. It gives you a chance to to apologize to them and be and be a bigger person. And you learn, far, you know, I'm just repeating myself, but you learn far more from your mistakes than you will ever learn from any victories you ever have. That's a great message. Thanks so much, Steve. <laughs> Take it easy. Nice yeah. to meet you. You too. Bye bye. See you. Bye. So that was Steve Mason here on 101 Part Time Jobs. His new album, Brothers and Sisters, is out this Friday. Catch him on tour this spring. See you later this week with a new episode with Jen Cloa from Australia. See you then. Here's Cox Barra. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding me, I've been on the go. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.